I believe that if one man were to live out his life fully and completely, were to give form to every feeling, expression to every thought, reality to every dream, I believe that the world would gain such a fresh impulse of joy that we would forget all the maladies of medievalism and return to the Hellenic ideal, to something finer, richer than the Hellenic ideal. But the bravest man amongst us is afraid of himself. You are listening to Filthy Armenian Adventures. session adventure all about wild things, Oscar Wilde things. We're going to be talking about the picture of Dorian Gray. We're going to be talking about the life of a man who uh, lived, wrote, and died for beauty, perhaps to a more dramatic and spectacular extent than almost anyone else in English literature. Um, A man who kind of really the symbol of the fin de cycle, I don't know how you pronounce it, but the end of the 19th century, uh, a time in which when you when you kind of dig into it, really bears a lot of resemblances to our own culturally decadent and confused and sexually tortured uh, period. And to help me explore the man's life, his work, we might get into the importance of being earnest and de profundis, uh, we'll see if we we if we'll see if we reach it in this conversation. But uh, I have with me two of my favorites, Jack Mason, of the Perfume Nationalist, checking in from Austin, te- actually not Austin, Texas, but somewhere close to Austin, Texas, and then Zach Langley Chichi of I'm so popular, uh, the uh, the portal of a portal of drag and. Um, and homosexual, artistic, <laughs> uh, I would say, his you know literary hysteria out of Tokyo, Japan. Um, Ooh, a portal now, of drag, a portal, a portal of, of drag. drag and literary hysteria. Thank you very much, Alec. Happy to be here. We'll, Thank we'll you also be for talking, having me. 
it's always a pleasure, of course. It's always one of my favorite things to do is to talk to you guys. Um, we're also going to be talking about the first filthy Armenian live event, uh, Circle Your Calendars, on September 23. We'll get into that a little bit later, and that will be starring Jack Mason, among many other friends of the filthy Armenian adventure universe. Um, and uh, subscribers to the show will get first dibs on tickets to that. Oscar Wilde. I've... It was not that long ago that lady by the name of Anna Khachian, or Kachian, as most people call her, likened in my presence one Jack Mason to one Oscar Wilde in terms of his literary flair and, and wit. Um, and so I was kind of surprised that you hadn't read Dorian Gray, uh, and I'm very excited that you were reading it. You just read it for the first time, although you appear to be haunted mm -hmm. from it from the messages I've read, from the messages yeah, we've exchanged. Yeah, it's ruined my life, actually. It's one of those, uh, it's, I was not expecting to be this shook by it. I didn't know that that's what it was. I thought it was like, uh, like dandies being like, the only worst thing than not than being talked about is not being talked not about, being like that kind of, you know, that <laughs> kind of, you know, of like that. that kind of, and that's why I never yeah. read it because I thought it was that, and it's yeah. actually like pure re evil religiosity, like good and evil. I mean, it has both, but it's like a soul harrowing uh, thing on the level of like the exorcist and melancholy durangle that like gives you nightmares and seems to be speaking directly to you. Um, and yeah, I've been, uh, really like raggedy and, uh, shook and depressed, but it's it, like, um, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. I just didn't know that's what it was. If somebody told me that's what it was instead of, you know, like that. Yeah. The only thing I, I the only thing worse than 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 the yeah it's like yeah the the paradox you know that's of, what they give you like on the wall of Barnes and Noble or whatever it's like Oscar Wilde saying something saucy and dishy and yeah. like I haven't been in the mood for that so but this Not I'm dishy. in the mood for <laughs> one one yeah well one tires very fast I mean you know I read this book just to start by sharing our personal experiences with this book. I read it in like freshman year um, of college. It appealed to me very directly because I, I, you know, I have a taste for that. I at the time had had a strong taste for that mode of verbal expression, that paradoxical, epigrammatic. Uh, uh, I remember I my my copy, which is from from um, from that time, is. I highlighted certain lines that I liked, such as "It is only shallow people who do not judge by appearances." And um, also paragra whole paragraphs that I liked. Uh, and, you know, there was like, there's one about how, um, what was it? You, know, you never say a moral thing and you never do a wrong thing. That's what's said of Lord Henry. I remember, I actually was assigned this in some class, uh, which was a happy coincidence. And I remember one of the themes that are like, we were asked to write about or investigate is, whether Henry Watton, Lord Henry, uh, the one who perversely influences Dorian Gray down a path of of uh, hedonistic uh, demonism, is actually actually means what he says. Because there are several. He's the one who he's like kind of the mouthpiece for Wilde's wit, and he's the one who uh, says all these things. He 
takes pleasure in, in, in paradox and all that, but isn't really personally invested in any of it. And there was this great question we're supposed to investigate of whether he means it or he doesn't mean it. I don't know if the, how much that matters, uh, how much Henry's sincerity actually matters to the story. I think there's a deeper spiritual thing happening here, and it's one that actually rose out of its own pages and ended up uh, wrecking Oscar Wilde's life. Which we'll talk about. Yeah, ruined his um, life and all that like quippy stuff is like right at the beginning. Yeah, it's uh, right in the first three chapters. Uh, yeah, all the quippy stuff is at the beginning, and then the rest of it is like reading something written by a serial killer or a pedophile or someone on death row, like which is I'm, like kind of all true. But seems like someone who's, whose life is ruined, and uh, yeah, his life yeah. Uh, was ruined because of this. So. It's a real it case because for of, the danger of art. Well, there's a there's a lot of lessons in the ruination of Oscar Wilde that are very relevant to the ruination of uh, any uh, of homosexual men of talent in any time. Um, he is the, maybe the most famous victim in history of the most eternally scheming bottom who ever existed. Somebody that I would fantasize, I would I would just fantasize almost on the level of Stalin to to resurrect for the express purpose of torturing with my own two hands like lord alfred douglas who is the lover who led oscar wilde astray and and you know how to 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 just get a gauge of how evil this this bitch was in later life he converted to roman catholicism and Mm like denounced homosexuality of course lied about all lied about a million things lied about everything lied about his history lied about who influenced him he was the one lord alfred douglas anyone of sense knew he was a creep then and since like anyone who's like because he had a very he's been involved in a lot of shit like his life is a whole thing he's the one who uh He's not the one he fir- who Wilde first had gay sex with, but he's like the second one Wilde had gay sex with, maybe. And he's the one who led Wilde down a really dark path. And, uh, and literally, he's the one who got him involved in the case, who egged him on to sue his own father for libel, which is what, which is during which case, during which it was proven that, no, it wasn't libel. And Wilde was guilt. Obviously, Wilde was sleeping around with rent boys aplenty and with Alfred Douglas, and that was a capital crime or whatever. And he got, it was because of Lord Alfred Douglas that he filed the lawsuit that ended up destroying his life and landing him in jail for being, for being a sodomite. And like this creature is something to be studied because dang, if you don't remind me of other uh, potentially disastrous boyfriends of literary stars, that we may or may oh, not yeah. know. You know what I mean? So yeah. this well, is I've a read, to really keep an eye on. I Alfred read Dave Profundis last night in one sitting, and it was his enormous 50,000-word letter. I read the complete version that they finally put out in like 1950 or something. And I saw with my own two eyes um, sitting with bated breath in a coffee shop. I smoked an entire pack of cigarettes and had four black coffees um just reading through this horrifying love letter and what i saw in that has changed me forever i really feel as if oscar wilde was the most in love anyone has ever been which of course made him more vulnerable to extraordinary emotional pains than probably any homosexual has ever felt in history and um like the levels of torture 
um, Alfred Douglas inflicted on Oscar Wilde are biblical. It the I cannot understand how terrifying it was to read. And I was also kind of worked up the first time I read Dorian Gray. I read it because I was going through sexual persona and kind of filling in the gaps of a lot of the stuff that uh, Paulia wrote about, but I hadn't read. And I remember reading Dorian Gray and finding it to be really scary, but also like kind of inconclusive in some ways or like a little like simple at the ending. And so I was really blown away when I read David Fundus last night and it is like the most final total statement I've ever read in any writing ever. It's insane. Written with no reference to the previous page. He was given one page a day. I was telling Jack. Um, in pre- actually, that was an improvement. He was given no writing or books mm-hmm. for the, in the first the first year he was in jail, uh, and then he was moved to a nicer jail to a, with a friendly warden who was actually then probably is, an, is a saint of some kind. If you when you read, I'm, I've been reading his biography, the latest one with the most info. He he was given at that new jail under the with you know some renewed spirit under the friendship of the warden or the kindness of the warden he was given one page a day to write on and a select number of books to read you know approved books um and so he wrote that letter without any reference to any word he wrote before it's like almost like <laughs> almost as if it was one long tweet you know uh no reference to the previous page he just wrote it in one draft and and um uh but he knew that it was an it was an important work of literature that might would be published after he died. Um, and it is a, it is a, that, uh, the De Profundis is the ultimate manifesto of post nut clarity. Uh, he's, he realizes finally what everyone else with two brain cells rubbing to rub together knew, which is that Lord Alfred Douglas was the cause of all his problems, but more spiritually, he is a man who, He is a man who always he's a he's a man who just simply was in, ap, enchanted to the core by beauty from the very earliest age. As a boy, he did not have problems with girls. Like you don't see any of the gay, the typical gay issues. Like he was born in a super dramatic family. His he was born in scandal. His uh, his his parents were a well-known Irish couple. His mom was like would hold salons in Ireland and his dad was a famous doctor. And his dad was being me tooed by some chick when he was born. It was a huge case in Ireland. It was like this big, you know, salacious case. So that was just sort of this weird premonition, you know, of what would eventually befall him. Um, he loved poetry and he loved the be- what kind of drew him to words was just the beauty of putting nice, spinning nice sentences together. And he was kind of a poet before anything else. He He was popular in school, but not too popular. He was like you know, sounded, sounded kind of familiar. Like he was very, he would impress his, his classmates with his verbal wit when they kind of made fun of him for being a little too poetic, a little, maybe too fairy-like, not that he was fairy-like, but he was flamboyant. Um, he would like beat their asses. (laughs) Like there's stories of him beating, like he had many victories throughout life. He was popular. He went to Oxford. He was popular there. Uh, he 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 fell under the influence of Walter Pater and of certain gay, um, but in a far more restrained way, gay uh, uh, thinkers. He got in, you know he got interested in slowly matriculated his way through the Greek stuff and 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 especially I think 
you know, uh, uh, he wrote a very, he wrote like this very bomb, uh, explosive essay about Shakespeare in which he fictionally, but made a case for like the, the, basically the gay love at the heart of his sonnets that were dedicated to Mr. W.H. mysteriously. Shakespeare's sonnets. They're off. They're widely considered to be, you know, among the finest work of like explicitly gay literature in the sense that they were inspired uh, by a, by what seemed to be Shakespeare's love for a young man who Oscar Wilde made the case was probably an actor who would play the female parts in his plays and so on, like a feminine, you know, a twink, as we would say in today's uh, tedious parlance. Um, so you see him like gradually through life, just getting deeper and deeper and deeper into this pursuit of beauty as a God, which eventually leads him to, to act out homosexuality. Um, and when he first, like, I'm trying to remember now the exact sequence of events. It was, he'd read Arab war. He read against nature shortly before writing, picture of Dorian Gray. And Against Nature is the book that in Dorian Gray, or is the book, it's fictionalized version of that book in which which Dorian Gray reads and which really corrupts his mind. What was which, your, by the what, way, Against Nature, which I've read a bunch of times, seems so like light and innocent <laughs> compared to this. Against yeah, Nature absolutely. is like is like just basically chapter nine of Dorian Gray, which is the catalog of all the sensual interests against nature is basically just that. Uh, but Dorian Gray just uh, extends that into this explicitly criminal kind of uh, harrowing domain of the eternal soul and like selling your soul and against nature uh Desaissance, the protagonist of that, eventually becomes sick of his own company and becomes sick from holding up in this mansion and uh inhaling all these aromas and reading all these rare books and stuff. And he is, is like propelled back to the vulgarity of the city. Um so it has, you know, while it seduces you with the sensuality and everything, it has like a kind of uh, reactionary ending uh, mm. to it, um, as does but, Dorian Gray, in a sense. Yeah, it has a that has a very reactionary ending. It's just like against nature seems to have this completely different tone to me. It mm -hmm. it has this very funny tone. I agree. I'm wearing um, what you paired with against nature. I'm wearing Mitsuko right now because Mitsuko. I thought that would be appropriate for this era of literature but that's you're very right. oscar wilde <laughs> i thought so too i i can imagine he would like smell like that in his prison cell with like his like rusty parchment or whatever but oscar wilde i feel like in dorian gray has like this liturgical sort of funeral march tone and that book is so unwaveringly bleak and upsetting from like the third chapter onward uh, it just never brightens. It's a misery parade, and it just um, gets worse and worse until it like pitters out and sparks out at the end. Which is interesting because he himself was... He was like uh, skipping through clouds when he wrote this book. He had just had gay sex for the first time, and the way he describes it, I have it somewhere here, is like, you know, he was like liberated like never before. He was... he, he had, It was like the... 
the 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 key to all mythologies for him um and he was so his spirit was unburdened uh i think he he was pretty it was pretty how old was he i think he was like 30 or something maybe or maybe older than 30 maybe like 33 34 when he first did it with Robbie Ross and it's very strange that this book was written before any of before even the 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 devolution that he began with Lord Alfred Douglas where you know he went from being he went from for years merely being intellectually interested in boy love and in men and like you know he had he met up with Walt Whitman his first big triumph in life was this tour he did of of the US before he had ever published anything like he published a few a, a book of sonnets literally that's all he had to his name but he'd gained a reputation as a as a witty guy and as a very a great talker and he somehow back in these days it was like things traveled really somehow everyone anyone of talent like made a huge splash internationally just by word of mouth, you know, without anything to his name, basically. He ended up coming to the U.S., did this famous tour of the U.S. that lasted about a year, where he went from everywhere from the East Coast places that we all know well, all the way to, like, mining towns in the Wild West. Like, there are scenes from there where he impressed the miners, uh, you know. Very cool. uh, Oh, my God, yeah. And and he was basically like a stand-up comedian, except of an intellectual kind. He He would give lectures on aesthetics and he was known as the proponent of aestheticism and 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 all and kind of that that entire movement and he would give he would adjust his things he would make do all his famous lines of, of, of the likes of which you see in dorian gray and all his plays and everything um sometimes he would bring down the house and sometimes they were less successful there was like up and down but overall it was a huge success this like english dandy coming in and just take taking on any stage in the u.s and and before he'd ever written anything and um and that was his first big triumph and then he goes back he his his he has a play that starts to get that that gets a little traction um he writes some articles that get traction his sonnets get traction he writes like the soul of man under socialism is one of his articles he wrote um he wrote he writes he starts writing fairy tales like the happy prince and lord arthur savile's crime uh, he publishes those in a volume. He's still like trying to find his thing. He's a great talker and like a performer um, who goes around and he call- basically at one point he would say that his tragedy was that he he put his genius in life and only his talent in art. And he felt like he never artistically fulfilled his potential. Um, but in Dorian Gray, he found like the, the a great match for where his kind of talents and abilities uh, sat at that particular time, which is he was figuring out how to write fairy tales where he could exercise his wit and and also kind of be, you know, impersonal in a way. Um, and this is basically a, a, this is a fairy tale. This might be the most successful fairy tale since it was written. I don't know of another fair, literal fairy tale that was is that is this successful. And it will remain, like this will not be forgotten. I don't think as long as it's going to it's going to last as long as any book from the 19th century lasts because it's a fairy tale. It's not bound to uh, the kind of details that 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 lose relevance. You know what I mean? Well, it's interesting because young people actually still read this. I mean, it's all kind of fake, but I went down a weird YouTube rabbit hole about something called BookTube. And it's like (laughs) a bunch of like 
women with curly hair and glasses <laughs> and red lipstick and like non-binary like scary creatures and nice sprites <laughs> like unveiling piles of books from their tote bags and I watched a 45 minute one that was like the I asked 1000 of my patreons like what their favorite book was and you'll never believe what the first one was and it was the picture of Dorian Gray and I was just blown away by that I feel like there is this timeless uh, primordial like fairy tale quality to it because it's a book that's like so fundamentally true and relies on the nature of things so much that it kind of translates um to anyone and you don't need to have some um like prenatural awareness of its concepts to like let it resonate with you it just seems very uh like fundamental so maybe it's one of those texts that can like break the zoomer mold or whatever that keeps them from reading I, anything except ya i think it can work on many levels and the level that it's probably working on most popularly now is that they kind of sell it to you as this mm-hmm. gay liberation thing where it's just this is a story of oscar wilde who was penalized for being gay in an unjust society but that's not you know the book is like no. digging in a grave like cannibalism insanity like insane mm-hmm. person stuff it's not just like I'm gay in an unjust society. It's like someone completely abandoning all moral center and going beyond the law and uh, becoming this kind of, for lack of a better word, satanic figure who owes allegiance to no one. You know, it's this kind of total selfishness. And that's so much scarier than just a simple story of uh i'm gay and i'm persecuted and that does it for the free portion of this show to listen to the rest please subscribe at patreon.com slash filthy armenian it's five dollars a month or more if you're uh, you know you've got a big one and uh uh get access to this and to twice as many adventures down the line. Filthy Armenian Adventures is a travel agency for the soul, taking you into all the forbidden territories of our cultural apocalypse, physical, imaginary, cultural, a new one each week, gathering the most enchanting movers and shakers of our time to help me in my quest to find truth gold and John Galt's motor. So if you've been touched by any one of these episodes, please consider putting a little bit of money where your soul is to make this show possible. I appreciate it so much. I thank you for listening. And of course, if you do subscribe, you get first dibs on tickets to our very exciting, very first live event on September 23 in Los Angeles, California. See you on the other side of the paywall. Thank you for listening.